Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello, hello. How's it going, Steve? Oh, just fabulous. I just, I've just i been wrestling with API authentication all morning. It's loads of fun. Those <laughs> are the best days. <laughs> Great. And our special guest today is Marcus Oberlehner. I'm hoping I pronounced that anywhere near right. Welcome, Marcus. Hello. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Marcus, would you mind introducing yourself for our audience? Yeah, so my name is Markus Oberliner, <laughs> and I'm a web developer from Austria, currently living in Vienna. Actually, I just moved to Vienna from the countryside. And yeah, I'm currently working as a software architect at Karriere.at, so Karriere is the German word for career, so this is the biggest job platform in Austria. And apart from that, I write about Vue and JavaScript on the blog, and I try to get into Twitch streaming recently. Yeah, that's basically a short overview. Overview? <laughs> Sorry, I just had to point that one out. You, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Yeah, go for it. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, a little slow. I was looking for my joke picks. Sorry, go ahead. It's all, it's all good. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there, and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So Marcus, real quick, before we talk more about what you've been up to, you mentioned Twitch, Twitch streaming. Yeah. How's that going? It's something I've been interested in too. I just haven't actually started doing it. I, I did one test stream with a couple people just to see how it mm -hmm. felt, but haven't gone too much further than that. Yeah, so I, I don't really know why I started it, but somehow I thought, yeah, it would be nice to do some streaming. And yeah, I like to, to improve my, my English skills, I guess. So it's helpful to talk. And also, I think when you when you explain what you're doing to others, you, you learn it. Learning comes more naturally, I guess. So it's also a way of, of learning new things. And somehow you're forced to, to actually... Uh, work on something because if you're streaming you you can't you can't just say no i just stop here but you have you have to do it at least if you want to do it somewhat regularly yeah and for now it's it's yeah i have a couple of viewers in there but it's not really a big thing it's more like the challenge but i like it so far nice i will be curious as you go forward with it to to see what you run into and what tools work best for you yeah actually most of what I did so far for my stream was behind the scenes, like 
setting up the, the equipment and stuff like that and, and finding out how, how to do all of that. And yeah, there are a lot, lot, lot of good holes to, to fall into, I guess. <laughs> just, yeah, just today, I, just today, I, I tried to improve my setup and hopefully everything works because I think, yeah, there's a, there's a German word for schlimmbessert. So this means basically you, you tried to make it better, but actually you possibly made it worse in <laughs> the process. <laughs> Oh, put that word in the chat for me. I need that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Amazing. You can say all that with one word, huh? Cool. So verschlimmbessert. Here it is. <laughs> Not that I can pronounce it correctly, but... <laughs> well, we will make sure that word gets into the show notes as well. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. I Thank you so much for talking about that. I know it's something new that you're trying out. Marcus, before we get too far in, I'm curious, what got you into programming in general? What led you towards this career path? Oh, uh, I have to think far back, I guess. So mm. I think like 15 years ago, I first started to, to play around with PHP. I actually don't know what me got got started but yeah there was reading like php books in my free time and my father had a company and i tried to to program a simple i guess a crm tool although i didn't know about crms at that point <laughs> and yeah and after that yeah i finished school like I actually did uh, something completely different, uh, learned com complete, something completely different at school. But after school, I, I thought, yeah, web development and working with PHP is a lot of fun. So I started at a small agency and yeah, that's basically how it went. And a couple of years ago, I joined my current company and there I got into Vue because we, we built a new project using Vue. And yeah, from there on, it was basically almost exclusively Vue and JavaScript and no PHP anymore. <laughs> That's really interesting. Is the company you're working at using PHP on the backend still, or is it, yeah. are you using a yeah, we are JavaScript using, backend? No, we are using PHP at the backend still. So all the APIs are programmed in PHP and also a couple of projects are using Inertia. So like the... Yay! PHP, I'm <laughs> a big Inertia fan. <laughs> So are you using like a PHP, sorry, I know this is a Vue podcast, but are you using like a framework like Symfony or Laravel or something like that? Or as I I guess we could say vanilla um, PHP or? No, mostly mostly Laravel, but for, yes. for the APIs, I think we were using Slim PHP, if I remember correctly, but I think we we switched to, to the Slims down Laravel. How is it called? Mm. I don't know, but I think the plan is to do almost exclusively use Laravel at the back end and we mostly use Vue.js on the front end but but we have we also use other other tools on the front end as well are you so you're did you say you're switching to inertia or you already use inertia or where does inertia fit in no yeah there are a couple of teams at Creality working on different projects and they are very free to choose whatever stack or not whatever stack they want but with within uh some limits they, they are allowed to, to choose their tools. And I think one team for now has chosen Inertia. And the, the team I previously worked with, we used uh, Vue without, without any server-side rendering. Well, Inertia is not really server-side rendering, but without a specific server-side component. But yeah, that changed as well. So currently we are using basically um, Inertia, then a, a Vue SBA, 
a pure view SPA with, with uh, Laravel uh, backend and Laravel APIs. And then we have also a server-side rendered application that's also built with Laravel and some custom custom JavaScript in the front end. Cool. Yeah. I mean, my day job is a huge app that's all view and Laravel with APIs and stuff. But I just had, in fact, it just came out a couple of weeks ago. I did another episode with Jonathan Reinick, the inventor of Inertia on JavaScript Jabber, another podcast that just came out a couple of weeks ago, I think. And so I'm a huge fan of Inertia. I love it. I use it myself on side projects. And for what it's worth, last I talked to Jonathan, their server-side rendering functionality was in a limited beta. So I know that they're, they're working on that. I think I, I saw that they are using a, a Node.js backend, I think, which they query from, from the Laravel application and get back to HTML or something like that. Sounds yeah. crazy, but, uh, but I guess it works. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like Inertia too, but I, I didn't work a lot with it right now. And also to come back to today's topic, some of the ways I, I do testing don't work with Inertia because it's not really client-side rendered anymore, which on, on one hand is, is cool and on the other hand has yeah has some downsides as well, especially regarding testing. Well, yeah, we'll probably get into this down the road here. Just I know we use, with our Laravel view app, we use Desk for the Laravel Desk stuff for yeah. the front-end testing, for the end-end testing. And I've gotten used to it and I like it. It seems it's certainly pretty usable. Yeah, I think uh, it's, I also didn't use it much, but I saw how the teams are using it. And I think Dusk is, is also very, very cool, but, but yeah, it's, it's a PHP tool. And especially in a company where you have multiple projects and there are multiple testing tools, yeah, it, it gets complicated if you have like Dusk in, in one project and Cypress in, a, in another and yet another tool and yet another project and so on. <laughs> That's a, a little bit of a downside. Basically, you have to use the, the PHP tools for at least for, for end-to-end testing or acceptance testing. But at least the tools are, are very decent, I think. So I'm curious, since it, for most of your career, it sounds like you were working on the PHP side. What was it about Vue that interested you enough to to be primarily working in JavaScript at this point? Great question. So I think when I started working with with Vue, React was was kind of the big thing, or maybe it still is, I don't know, but it definitely was at that point. And I was not a huge fan of, of React because of the because of the poorly client side rendering. And at this point of time it, it seemed like a really bad idea somehow to me. And also this, this separation of concerns things, which the meaning of which changed a little bit in the last couple of years, I think. But at that point, uh, separation of concerns was very much like uh, you have your CSS file and you have your HTML file and you have your PHP or JavaScript or whatever file. <laughs> and yeah, at this point, uh, I also didn't like that aspect of, of React and other client-side frameworks very much. And, and Vue was... Was cool in that regard because of the single file component syntax, where you where you still had your your template block and your script block and your CSS block like in the good old days. And yeah, that, uh, I think that that was was that what changed my mind about client side rendered applications in general. And also also Vue was was more appealing to me because of that at the beginning. So yeah, that, that's basically it. So because you felt more natural to a 
old school guy like me <laughs> who was used to having like CSS and HTML and and web apps with with progressive enhancement in mind and so on. So you seemed like a good idea and that got me hooked and then I became a mostly front-end and JavaScript guy. Yeah, that sounds really familiar from my experience. I primarily was working in HTML, CSS, and PHP until I finally needed to do something in the browser. And I, you know, initially I reached for jQuery, which was okay for what it was, but I wanted something yeah. better. I looked at React, it just didn't fit. It wasn't, it wasn't right yeah. uh, for what I, the way my brain worked. But when mm -hmm. I found Vue, it's like, oh, this looks familiar. This is right. This is how applications are already, I'm already writing this way. Now I'm just putting yeah. it in the browser and I'm able to do more reactive stuff in the browser instead of yeah. having to re-render everything. And that felt like a really, yeah, exactly. really straightforward transition from doing just backend stuff into being either full stack or front end heavy. Mm, that sounds that sounds a lot like what I experienced. Yeah. That's really cool. Now we already touched on testing a little bit. What so let me restart this this statement. You've been working on a project about writing uh, good view testing. What got you interested in testing at the level that you want to write about it and you want to teach people about it? I'll, I'll use myself as, as an example. I know the importance of testing, both unit and end-to-end -end tests. I don't know if I would be up to the challenge of writing a course on it or writing a book on it or teaching people about it. What, what interested you in testing to the point that that's something you wanted to do? Yeah, so the thing is, when we started this big view project a couple of years ago, we wanted to do everything right. So we wanted to do all, all the all the stuff that the that a professional development workflow looks like. We wanted to have our process exactly look like that. And so we did testing because you know testing is a thing you you should do. <laughs> and but in our team, nobody had a lot of experience with testing. Or, most of us had no experience, at least I had no experience with testing. So naturally, we made a lot of mistakes. So we did a lot of things wrong, I guess. <laughs> and over the years, and especially the last one or two years, it finally clicked for me. So it finally dawned on me why what we did at that time was wrong and what we did wrong and how we can do better. And yeah, as somebody who... Who is used to write uh, blog articles and so on, and share what he what he have learned? I I wanted to share this as well, and this was what got me first of all into writing more blog articles and also doing some some Twitch streams around testing. And yeah, and finally, I thought, yeah, I have to write about this because there's uh, there's so much and it's uh, such a broad topic, and also most of the, of the content that is produced is about about the the technologies. Like you can you can find books and and tons of articles about certain technologies, like how you use Chest for testing or how you use Cypress for testing. But I think what's much more important is what actually is a good test and how you actually do testing. So it's it's really helpful in the long run and. And also the, the processes around testing. And there is not a lot about this out there, at least not in the, in the view ecosystem, I think. So yeah, I thought I have to fill this gap. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know for me, as I was getting more and more into testing, I picked up some 
like folk knowledge of don't test implementation details or you you should check your code coverage to make sure that all of your your functions are being called and all of your code paths are actually being executed in the tests. But even as I was learning those things, it was very hit and miss as to are my tests actually doing anything? Are they useful? Or are these just yeah. tests for the sake of tests? I remember yeah, exactly. I, I, I was working on like, this, this was in React, but I was writing like a small component library just for, for side projects. And I was like, okay, so now I'll write a test that it renders. Now I'll test that it renders and it has this text. Now I'll test that it renders and it has this text and it does this thing. And it's like, is that actually useful? Like I'm, re- I'm repeating the same tests over and over and over. At some point, I figured out maybe there's something better. Maybe there's something more that can be done here. I don't know if it, it would, I would say, clicked at the same level that you're talking about, because uh, I'm not writing a book about it. But this it's something that's definitely not taught nearly as much. And looking at docs, both for Vue, for Vuex, for, for React, for all these libraries, you're learning all of the fundamentals of the framework or the, the library or what have. And testing is always a footnote, it feels like. Yeah, and, yeah, and the same cool. thing happens in the courses. So I think it's really cool yeah. that you're doing this very specific project on how to write tests in Vue that yeah. are actually useful. So Marcus, I'm real curious to see what is your, I mean, you're, you're talking about, Lindsay, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I but, uh, wanted to get this thought before it ran from my brain, like a lot of thoughts do. You mentioned about tests being an afterthought. And so, you know, the other end of the coin, or the, excuse me, the other side of the coin, since coins are round, is TDD test-driven development. So you write your test and then you write your code. So I'm curious to see where you fall on that spectrum of write your code and then write some tests versus write your test and write your code. Do you fall in the middle or more towards TDD or, or what's your thoughts for making sure that testing is integrated in your development process? Yeah, that's a great question. So with TDD, I think, how should I put, it, put this? So I think there are, are two modes, I think. So like there's the exploration mode, or two modes when coding. So there's the exploration mode, like you you work on something completely new and you have to, to try stuff out and so on. And I think in this case, it's definitely not not really possible to, to apply DDD. So if you have to find out first what, what you really want to do, that's not the best Best time to to practice DDD, but in the typical feature building mode, like there is a new ticket and you have to implement some new feature, um, maybe some some little thing like when this toggle is pressed, then something else should happen, uh, and now this happens, and later another thing should happen or something like that. So this this basic day to day, this basic day to day work you do, I think then it's the time to actually try to always practice DDD. But I have to admit that I'm far from from perfect. So <laughs> it's like something I'm getting into right now. I try to do it more and more. And every time I do it, it, it feels really great. So recently I worked on a completely a foreign project I never touched before and actually didn't know how to get it running. <laughs> but I managed to to get the tests running. <laughs> so what I did was that I I just wrote the test first because I could make it run and I wasn't able to to make the project uh, itself run. And I implemented the feature and and committed it. And yeah, 
then there was the code review and this were, it was merged into master and I actually never <laughs> tested it. So I, and I didn't tell anyone that I didn't test it, but everything worked fine. And this was for me a testament to how great GDD can work. And, but yeah, it's, it's like, how should, how should I say? I mean, especially if, if people are starting out with writing tests and so on, it may be too much to ask to say like, please, only work by doing TDD and always write the test first. But it's definitely the way in which we should move and, and more and more over time, we should try to, to practice this more and more. But yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm far from perfect myself. But yeah, every time I try it, I'm convinced that it's definitely the way to go. And also, Lindsay, you talked about courage. Um, and, and yeah, basically, it's funny that you talked about this because before starting this podcast, I wrote about it for, for the book. <laughs> and uh, I wrote about, should we should we have courage thresholds? And where was it going with this, this sentence? Yeah, basically, yeah, that, that's the point. So my answer to the question, should we have courage thresholds is no, but should we have high courage is yes. And how do we achieve high courage in a, in a good way? It's by practicing TDD because if we practice TDD, we will have high courage without looking at, at those courage thresholds all the time. So yeah, it was a, it was a rather long answer. <laughs> I hope, I hope I, I answered all the points you said. So no, no, that sounds good. Yeah. That, that wasn't going to be a short answer to begin with. So <laughs> that's, that's fine. So you were just talking about TDD and code coverage. I would imagine that approaching testing from a TDD perspective would also help with not testing implementation details because you're able to specify this is the API I expect and you write your tests for the API that you expect. You're not having to worry about how the API actually does its thing. Um, yeah. So you're more focused on what you're actually wanting to achieve with that, in this case, view component or Vuex store yeah. or whatever it is you're testing. Yeah, exactly. So you have to think completely different about how you write your test. And I actually wrote in, in the chapter in the book, I wrote that if you, if you practice TDD, then you are forced to build a simple implementation because you want to write a simple test. And if you write the test first, then that's what, what comes first. So, so you probably will write a simple test for a simple implementation. And then the implementation you later build will be simpler as well. So I think, yeah, that's, that's also very beneficial when, when doing TDD. Yeah, definitely. So talking about view components, I think we kind of got into a discussion on Twitter, which is part of how we connected, but we were talking about view components and your specific question was, do you see them as object oriented? Do you, do you test them in an object oriented way or in a functional way? But I think that brings up an interesting point that unlike let's, talking server side code, for example, you can unit test that pretty easily. Most server side code, while it might have side effects, it whether it's object oriented or functional, it's going to take inputs and it's going to give an output, you can set up a nice environment for it to, to mock API or mock database or what have you. How do you approach that with view components? I feel like just because it's in the front end and just because it's a component doesn't really fit into any of the existing paradigms, which means I feel like it doesn't quite fit into the testing paradigms either. So how do you yeah. approach testing a, a view component as opposed to just unit testing a function or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about this. So like... When testing pure function, then everything is easier. I think that's kind of the point you made as well. So if you have 
you have if you have a given input and this always results in a given output, then that's very easy to test. And with view components, it's some sometimes it is like that, but sometimes it's it's not. Like a lot of times we have view components that trigger API requests, for example, or maybe have some other side effects or reach for some for some state in, in UX. So when testing those components, we we don't really have the luxury of uh, of the pure function paradigm. So how can we deal with that? One of of the ways I think we should deal with that. So like in the past, I, I didn't really have an answer, but what I think we should try to make most of our components fit this functional paradigm. So that most of our, our components work in a way that given a certain input, like input this is uh, are the props, basically, given certain props, it always results in the same output. And then those components are very easy to test. Although, like in the Twitter discussion, you mentioned this, that a view component never really is is like a pure function because you have uh, the local state and you have an instance of a, of a view component. But basically, if you don't trigger side effects or if you don't reach for a global state, for example, or if you don't reach for, for data via an API, then you can basically say it's like a view component is like a, it's like a functional component that we got. Then it's very easy to test. And so I think we should try to make most of our components that way. We, we should make most of our components easy to test and then have only a few components which are responsible for, for triggering, triggering the, those side effects like fetching data from an API or, or triggering up, updates in an API. And maybe we should also try to separate the styling or the, the markup generation from from actually this more business logic stuff. So that our view components are more representational and then we have separate components or separate maybe composables with, with view three where we where we have our logic. And then we can split our testing into unit testing for those I call them pure components and more I call it acceptance testing, but there are multiple words for it. So like some call it end-to-end -end testing, others call it in integration testing. I tend to, to use the term acceptance testing. So like, for example, we can use, in a typical setup, we use chest for the unit testing, and then we have something like Cypress to test all the other stuff. And with Cypress, we basically also test the components we units tested, more or less again, but in a different way. And also those higher level components that are responsible for data fetching and so on. And I think that's the way we should go. So don't focus too much on unit tests, but use unit tests for, for those pure components and then test all the other stuff with, with acceptance tests. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching.
Yeah, I, I worked on a previous project that followed that pretty closely where I'm trying to remember the structure exactly, but basically all of our components were were just UI. They were for displaying data. They received props. In general, we tried not to even access Vuex from those deep down components in the tree and instead okay. relied on either props or slots to, to pass data down so that the components could be as visual as possible and not worry about where they're getting the data. Just they are getting it and they're going to execute and return HTML. Because I completely agree. That's that's a lot easier to test. You're not worried about as many APIs feeding data into the component, which makes controlling the environment for testing them and executing on them in production just that much easier. Yeah. And it's a lot less work in, in the long run because if you test components that make API requests, you you have to mock those API requests. And every time the API changes in some way, you have to change all, all the tests as well and so on. And yeah, it, it becomes a lot of work if you're doing it that way. And also UX is also really hard to test. So if you have a, if you use a lot of, of UX magic, then your components get really, really hard to test. So I think we, we should avoid those things which are hard to test and focus on yeah using local state more and more and also slots are very very underused i think so with slots you can you can fix a lot of this i think that's basically that's one downside of the view single file component syntax i think that with with templates and slots it doesn't come naturally to use slots because if you think about it slots are basically like passing down functions as params like callback, passing down callbacks functions in in if you think if you have a function and you want to make it work with with different implementations of of some kind of service for example then you can instead of importing the service directly in, in the module where the function is defined you can define the service as a param of the function and then you can pass different services to the function and then the function does different things. And it's basically the same with, with slots. I hope you can follow me. <laughs> it was not the best explanation, <laughs> I guess. But I tried. So, and with, with templates, that doesn't come really naturally. But with uh, if you think about JSX and JSX, I think it's a little bit more natural, but also not, not really. And if we would use render function, I think we would use slots, quote-unquote slots, because if they, if we use render functions, to, those are not really slots anymore. But we, we would use this pattern a lot more, and it makes it a lot easier to test things. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I remember when I was finally digging into scoped slots in Vue, and yeah. it, it, it finally clicked, and it was like, oh, this is like a render function. This is like a render prop in yeah. React. And yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the word. I was I'm still about. waiting for that click, by the way. <laughs> yeah, scoped slots are, are not that easy. Yeah, it's, you, it's definitely you, not a... Did you see my, my last video on this topic? You have to check this I out. I right? So no. Yeah, I'm doing exactly that. I use scoped slots to make testing easier. And I not only use one scoped slot, I use three scoped slots, they, which are nested. <laughs> so you have three times nested scoped slots and yeah man that might you know that might be good for testing but just speaking from recent experience on on <laughs> trying to debug some stuff when you start getting multiple layers of slots like that it is hard to follow 
yeah. sometimes just from, from a code reading standpoint, because we've got some stuff in our app that's four to five levels down with slots and scope slots. And it's, it, it's tough. It's really tough yeah. to do. It's, I understand the flexibility that slots give you in terms of you can just pass a blob of whatever into a slot. And that's great. But man, if you get, it's one of those, it's one of those tools that you want to use carefully. And yeah, not definitely. overdo it. You know, it's like any other tool. Yeah, it's great for certain cases, but once you get too complex, maybe you need to start looking at another approach. Yeah, definitely. And I even added a disclaimer at the beginning of the video, basically saying just that, that uh, <laughs> this is a, a concept for how we can solve this, but basically for at least for for simple use cases, it's not the way to go. It's making things more complicated. But yeah, but it's it's one way of, of making testing easier. And I think, I think we have to, to find, find out a lot of this. So we're just learning much of this because I think in, especially in the view world, there is not that much about, about really the, the really tricky parts about testing. We only scratch the surface right now. So on that note of how we only scratch the surface, I'm curious, and I know you're going to be talking about this in your book and in your videos, but what are some of the things that are just like right under the surface that people tend to miss? Uh, just like, yeah, if you're testing and you're, you can get these things, then you're doing really well. What are, what are some, what are some tips that you would give just under the surface of basic yeah. testing? So right at the beginning, I think you, you said don't test implementation details and I think it's not really a secret. So basically, everybody 